So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Yeah, this is NHS patients, Graham. Uh-huh. Our stuff will be there. Well, yeah, you know, remember when we talked about when you had to go see a doctor about, you know, the... Oh, don't, don't talk about my... Again. <laughs> right? That might be there. That might be floating around the, the, the streets of Milton Keynes as we speak. Smashing Security, Episode 147. Don't Snapchat and Drive, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 147. My name is Graham Cluley. You don't need to sound so bored saying that. I'm Carol Terrio. I'm not bored, it's quite exciting. 147, that's the biggest break you can get in a game of snooker. Did you know that, Carol? Is it? And I didn't know that. It's also yeah. uh, the longest show I've ever worked on. So that's cool too. Oh, well, well done to you. And we are joined this week uh, by a returning guest. It's Joe Carrigan of the Information Security Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Did I get that right? Yes. It's Johns Hopkins University. It, oh, so I did get it right. Yeah. Yep. Yes, and we like to we like to uh, enunciate the S at the end of Johns. Yes, because yes. many people call it John Hopkins, and it makes yes. the hair on everybody's neck stand up when they do I that. I bet. I bet. Yes, and of course, you're also from the Hacking Humans podcast with That's some. Right. I, I believe you got some sort of I don't know some sort of minion who helps you out there <laughs> called Dave. But, uh, Carole, are you familiar with Hacking Humans too? Oh, I am. I uh, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a regular, but I uh, do interviews from time have, to time for Hacking Humans. We have Carole's interviews on frequently. Yeah, yeah I would oh. say I'd say oh. a few times a month. Yeah, and it's a great show. So if you guys don't know it, you should definitely check it out. You learn lots. It's a very educational but fun show. I would like to tell you that sometimes when I'm typing out my notes for what I'm going to talk about, I hear your voice in my head. For, for some reason. I'm like, horrified. Why am I thinking of how Corolla sound rather than how I would sound? Oh, oh, I'm, I'm taking that as an absolute compliment. <laughs> really? Okay. I even mentioned it to Dave once and he goes, that's weird. And I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, Corolla, what's coming up on the show this week? 
Well, first, thanks to this week's sponsors, LastPass and Detectify. Their support helps us give you this show for free. Now, on today's show, Graham takes us to Milton Keynes. This is a medium-sized town in the UK to share with us a very wacky data privacy snafu. Joe tries to uncover why there is such a skill shortage gap in the cyber world. And I'll be sharing the ins and outs of illegal phone use at the wheel. All this and loads more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, fellows, fellows, last week I went to university. Ah. I know. How- First experience? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> were you intimidated? I have been to universities in the past. In fact, Carol, the college I went to long, long ago is now a university, although it wasn't technically What was a it university. then? It was a polytechnic, which uh, is in many ways much more sophisticated than the university. But last week, I went to Milton Keynes to give a couple of cyber awareness talks at the Open University, which is a marvellous institution. Um, and I was marvellous as well, of course. Um, but Milton Keynes, maybe we should try and explain Milton Keynes to Joe, because it, chances are he's never been to Milton okay. Keynes. Is this named after The Economist? A lot of people think that. They, they think they think it may have been uh, named after Maynard Keynes. Oh, and, uh, Keynes. Okay. And yeah. also, was it Milton as in Paradise Lost? I'm not sure. But I think actually the name predates... The city. The city's been around for little more than 50 years. It was born in the summer of love, 1967. Carol, how would you describe Milton Keynes to a newcomer? Okay, so I would say it's a bit like one of the suburban car parks out in an American or Canadian town, right? So it's outside of the center of the city. Mm-hmm. And um, you've often got like a suburban kind of house housing estate around there. And then you have like your big Walmart and maybe a grocery store and a pet store. And it's huge. And then you, it, So it's kind of like that. And there's lots of roundabouts, which I've noticed becoming... Oh, yes. Canada's starting to get them a lot. Certainly in Ottawa, it's uh, there's a lot of them now. We do that a lot here in Maryland too. We've had a lot of roundabouts installed over the past 20, 30 years. They're great, right? I love them. I love them too. Yeah, yeah they're all yeah. right in reasonable numbers. I think Milton Keynes <laughs> after about the nine hundred eighth. True, you do get uh, a bit of vertigo almost. I mean, I would. Head. I mean, you you paint a rather charming picture of Milton Keynes. I, I would describe it more like hell on earth. <laughs> I, it's not it's, where one goes for fun, right? You well, go there out of necessity. There are for... some fun things there. It's famous for its concrete cows. Of course. What do sculptures. you do with them, Graham? You look at them. You don't do anything else with them. Are you some kind of pervert? You don't do anything <laughs> like that. But driving into Milton Keynes, especially for someone like me who lives in Oxford. Oxford has been around for over a thousand years. It predates the Battle of Hastings, the Norman invasion. It's been around for an awfully long time. Milton Keynes has only been around for about 50 years. And so when well, you go there- A lot of cities have only been around for 50 years. Not Mr. in our Euro country. Snob. Not in our country, they oh, haven't. Lots of them are much God, older. Joe, I'm so sorry. Not in my country. Yeah. <laughs> Driving into Milton Keynes is a bit like traveling into the future. Everything feels so high tech. You feel like you're in an electric vehicle. Feel like it's, it have, does not have you feel ever like that seen? To me. Have you ever seen the movie Logan's Run? Came out in the 1970s. I, I watched that when I was young. I haven't seen it in years, but it was Jenny Agata. Maybe the thing that you remember most about it. Um, <laughs> But basically, it was a sci-fi story about people living in this incredible city. But by the age of 30, you got killed. Right. And if you tried to escape death, they sent someone to chase after you and to hunt you down. And they called you a runner. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And it was all kind of concrete. And it was all, oh, you know, it's all a bit weird. Now, that's how I feel when I go to Milton Keynes. You want to die. Well, it's a little bit odd. <laughs> he wants to float up into the air and explode is what he wants to do. But, 
But I did have a good time going and giving some talks there. I enjoyed that. And they were lovely people despite where they live. But anyway, the point which I'm coming to is for the next three weeks, Milton Keynes is hosting the first ever Festival of Creative Urban Living. Okay, right. hold on. Festival of Creative Urban Living. Yeah, Fuckle. Yeah, I was, I was just trying. Yeah, yeah, I was just trying to see if there's something in there. Yeah. And, and it claims to bring together citizens, artists, architects, designers, urban planners. There's a lot of urban planners in Milton Keynes and thinkers. And I'm wondering, Crow, do you have a ticket? You're you're a bit of a thinker, aren't you? <laughs> I, are you okay. are you going? I I think I might. I think I like this it idea. Sounds like the kind of pretentious yeah. arty thing that you would enjoy. Yes, it does I, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll don my cashmere <laughs> roll neck and off I'll go. And as you're there, you know, with your Apple Mac under. Your arm, having <laughs> my, a great flat old time. White, my other yeah, hand. yeah. There yeah. you are admiring the installation art, and say, oh, you know, well, I wonder what the blazes all this is about. <laughs> you might come across outside the main shopping centre in right. Milton Keynes, a four-story structure made out of scaffolding. Okay, which is, to be honest, a bit better than the typical thing you find in Milton Keynes, and it's called Utopia <laughs> Station, which will be home to an internet cafe for the next three weeks. Okay, and the, what they're they're building it now or something? They're finishing off building it now because right. actually, by the time the podcast comes out, it will be open, and any of our listeners in the area could, if they wanted, go and visit it. Maybe after hearing this, you will want to. Hey, I know where I'm doing on Sunday. Right. right? Well, I've I've been on Twitter to find out what the buzz is down on the street about <laughs> Utopia Station, and I don't really understand what it is yet. Really. Right. Well, it's it's a, it's basically a load of scaffolding, and you you sort of walk up it about four stories high. And they're that's so you can get better reception. I don't. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. You don't want a view of Milton Keynes. I can assure you of that. <laughs> but it's but yeah. It's, I'm sorry, people. It's, live there. it's bewildering to me. It's bewildering. But anyway, but they've got some sort of internet cafe there. Anyway, uh, a chap called Costa MK. He said, "Looking really good. Can't wait to climb Utopia Station." He's been posting climb pictures. It? Yes, you climb it because it's. Oh, of course, of course, I yes, understood right? that. I understood yep. that completely from your description. But I you climb it. You climb to the top. Not to like you're climbing the Eiger or the Matterhorn. Laptop, it's no, firmly clenched oh, between your teeth. Sake. No, there are st- there's steps, but it's sort of made out of scaffolding, and there are steps inside. I mean, I'm sure that they are taking health and safety seriously, right? You can't let the great unwashed public, you know, climb it willy nilly because accidents are going to happen, right? Yeah, this is Burning Man, right? Can- <laughs> I mean, you could go right now if you want. Go go and look up Utopia Station. All right, uh, okay. On- on the Twitters on the or something like that, yeah. and I, I'm, or Milton Keynes, if you do oh, a search for that. Oh, this thing is hideous. Thank you. Yes, well, I said Milton Keynes. It actually improves the look of the place, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> why is it called Utopia Station? Because they're arty. That's why, Carol. Because just saying it's a lump of scaffolding isn't going to attract anyone. The more serious question is this. What are they going to do to prevent it falling over or getting carried away in a freak gust of wind? What? I'll, I'll tell you what they're going to do, Carol. <laughs> Right, because okay. you're worried about that, right? And you, Joe, if you did happen to come over to go and check this out, what right. they've done is they've created 40 blocks of ballast, like giant hay bales, to weigh the thing oh, down. That's very, that's very eco to use hay bales. Well, they're not using hay. Oh. <laughs> they're using paper, right? But because they want to be eco-friendly, they're, they're using recycled paper, right? Uh-huh. To weigh it down. And these hay bales are bigger than people, right? They're, they're bigger than the size of a man. A you man, be, you say. Um, or, or a large, <laughs> sturdy woman, right? They are, they're big. Now, you might be asking, where have they got this paper from? What's all this paper? Recycled paper, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
medical records. <laughs> oh, wow. Is that what that is? Because I'm yeah. looking at it right here and I see the bales of paper under okay. it. And, yeah. Magnify, Joe. Magnify. <laughs> Magnify and enhance. 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 <laughs> so apparently these are people's private medical records from GPs, offices, and pharmacies. And some of them are peeling out of the blocks and scraps of personal data. You are, oh my, you're not even <laughs> joking. They're like flying around the streets. Of, it's, yeah. It's, it's like a ticker tape parade of, of personal health information. <laughs> and, and people are picking them up and saying, hang on a minute. I can see someone's details here because they haven't been properly shredded, right? These haven't been cross-cut shredded. Some of they're, them. They're I've not taken even at, in netting. No, some of them. <laughs> some <laughs> of them. <laughs> I just like a piece of paper that's sort of roughly torn in half, sort of casually. It's it's just like, what? So this isn't part of so the article. Okay. They're not trying to say something about privacy by saying, oh, we will use privacy. We will use private medical records to create this art infrastructure. No, they're not doing that. It's just that this is just being used to weigh it down. And it turns out it's <laughs> private records. Okay. So, so, okay. Is this the case that they were trying to be eco-friendly, yes. save the world, yet let's use recycled paper. We'll order it from the recycling plant. They're like, yay, finally, someone's collecting all this crap and can use it. No one actually looked at what it was. They just had these bales. That's exactly it, I think. Right. So apparently what they did was they realized this they needed- mortifying. They needed something to protect the structure and prevent it falling over. So they went to a recycling firm called CS Recycling, based in Hertfordshire. They provided these blocks of recycled paper, uh, which they said, look, you know, this is- what we've done is we, we, we sent cut and partly shredded paper that's been pressed tightly into blocks. But these loose paper- which some people say contains prescription forms, clear names and addresses, details of surgery, are now oh. sort of peeling off. Yeah, this is NHS patients, Graham. Uh -huh. Our stuff will be there. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. remember when we talked about when you had to go see a doctor about, you know, the... Mm, oh, don't, mm, don't mm, talk mm, about mm, my... Mm, mm, again. Mm, right? That might be there. That might be floating around the, the, the streets of Milton Keynes as we speak. And that would only need a very small scrap of paper, to be honest. I've got to go to Milton Keynes to find out what mm, mm, mm means. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Do you think it's likely criminals are going to be picking up this paper okay. in the streets of Milton Keynes outside the shopping center? Okay. It's going to be there for the next three weeks. Yeah. So we need to be serious for a second. But okay, has good. Milton Keynes apologized? Has the NHS gone, whoa, we really screwed up here, dudes? Well, Milton Keynes Council says it's appalled by the mistake yeah. and says that they are going to cover up the bales and arrange for their removal. Presumably, they'll replace them with... Uh, people's social security numbers or something like that. I don't know. They'll import some recycled paper from you America. You don't have social security numbers over there. No, you? no, we'd get yours. That's okay. the way it worked, Joe. We'd, <laughs> right. we'd import Joe's. them. Yes. It's all part of our new relationship between America and Britain. We're, we're, right. we're going, it's part of the trade deal. You get our NHS, we get your private data. Yeah. Um, so so they're, they're, they're apparently investigating. The recycling company said, look, it's nothing to do with us. Right, our job was just to create the bales, and we're taking. So, I mean, you're the recycling company for the NHS there in, in the UK, right? Mm. You know how this information has to be destroyed, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know that what you're providing is going to be out in the public space that's going to be touchable by other humans. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect them to to properly destroy the information. 
Or at least go, hi, um, NHS, you know that you guys just asked us to bail this. I'm looking at someone's Prozac and Viagra prescription. Do you think this is appropriate? Well, I mean, that's that's fine if you're going to if that's what you're going to do with it, and then you're going to dispose of it somehow. Right. And, yeah. And it's not going to be out in the public. But when somebody comes to you from Milton <laughs> Keynes and says, we need some ballast for a, a tower of scaffolding in the center of town, in the center of town, <laughs> you go, well, OK, well, that's not suitable for this. Joe, what's your story for us this week? You guys are familiar with the concept of the cybersecurity skills gap, right? Yes. This this is what we keep hearing about in the news. And uh, there was an article I saw yesterday that said it's going to be 1.8 million by 2022. Hang on. Let's just explain what, if anyone doesn't know what the cybersecurity skills gap is and is imagining something like the thigh gap or something like that. What what is completely different than that? It is different from that, is it? So what what is the cybersecurity skills gap? I'm just asking on behalf of one listener. Uh, okay. rather than myself. So it is the uh, the shortfall of qualified people to fill available positions, right? So right now there are somewhere between 1.8 and 3 million jobs that can't be filled globally because people do not have the skills to fill those jobs. All right. So my conjecture has been that the skills gap is overstated. Mm-hmm. And the people I blame are HR and hiring mm-hmm. managers who don't understand what the problem is. And I want to focus on what I think is a huge part of the problem here, and that is the pipeline into the entry-level positions, okay? Because everybody says you got to get into cybersecurity. It's great. There's tons of jobs in it. And but there's when so I, many jobs in tech support. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. When I talk to people who say, I'm trying to get into cybersecurity, the complaint is always the same thing, that nobody will hire me. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Because I don't have any experience. Yeah. And that's part of the problem is that I don't think people understand what entry level is, uh, particularly in HR. And I did a couple of quick searches on a couple of job sites like Indeed and Monster on mm-hmm. entry level cybersecurity jobs. And, and here are some things I found that are required for these jobs. And the first one is huge. Many of them require a Bachelor of Science degree in computer science or computer engineering or IT or some related field. Right. For an entry role, like so what's normally a, a typical salary for an entry role? That's some of the jobs that had the had the entry level roles, um, they start at like $45,000 and go up to maybe $60,000 here in the okay. US. And can you live happily in the US for that money or not really? If, if you're young, yeah, you probably right. can. I okay. mean, I couldn't live on that today. Um, but my daughter just graduated with a degree in computer engineering this past May. And she would not have considered a job that paid that little. Right. Period. She would have laughed that off. So my point is, person who's posting this job, you need to ask yourself two questions. Does someone really need a bachelor's degree to do this job? And if so, the second question is, why am I so dense that I think that it requires computer science or computer engineering degree? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a great question to ask yourself. Uh, People should look at other degree fields, and I'm going to list some here. I think psychology. I think someone with a psychology degree would do 100%. great in cybersecurity because this mm. is mostly about people. Yeah. Yeah. The security is. problem is mostly about people. Business administration is another great place to look for cybersecurity uh, people because business policy plays an enormous role in, in cybersecurity. Mm. It's how, how we dictate how the employees should conduct themselves. And we have to have that kind of expertise in managing the people. And a lot of people with computer science and computer engineering degrees do not have that expertise out of the gate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and 
Finally, I would say, look at people with accounting degrees. In fact, I know a number of people who are GRC auditors and they are CPAs. Yeah. So accounting is a great, a great place to look for people to fill these jobs as well. I like the approach of looking into these different fields. What I worry about from a company's perspective is they're sitting there going, look, we are way behind our competitors, right? We do not have a robust cybersecurity or defense mechanism in place. And Mm -hmm. we need someone who knows how to do this. We need to find the guy or girl, right, who knows all this stuff across a huge amount of expertise, right? So it's a general list, but they, but they only have 45 K to offer as a salary. Right. Well, we're talking, we're talking entry level stuff here for, for now when you're talking more senior level, then you get into other issues. Um, which kind of brings me to my next point for, um, for looking for entry level people, stop looking for people with one to three or even four years of experience. Right. Okay. I saw almost every job that I looked at yesterday required that a person who's going into a cybersecurity job, an entry-level cybersecurity position, have one to three and one even listed four years of experience. (sighs) This is not entry-level. It's not even junior-level, not in cybersecurity anyway. Exactly. Someone with three or more years of experience is looking for senior positions in this field. And instead, look for someone who has good communication skills and is a quick learner and has a natural knack for this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who's smart, someone who's keen. Right. Exactly. I mean, I used to work for a guy who always had all the developers he hired seemed to have a philosophy degree because he just said, I know they can think and I think they can think critically. And Mm. that's really useful to me. Yep. My first manager in uh, development didn't have a computer science degree. His degree was in psychology. There you go. And uh, he was doing agile development years before agile development was a thing. But this is a really interesting point you're making because there are people out there who are coming up to finishing their psychology degree or their business admin job. And they're thinking, I'm not really sure what area to go in. I want to go into a hot area. We all know cybersecurity is a super hot area. It's going to probably stay for the next 10 years. So it's a guaranteed career if you're dedicated and interested in it. Yep. And I I think a lot of people never even thought about approaching it because they don't have a background in it. I regularly get people even emailing me saying, oh, hi, Graham, you know, listen to the podcast or whatever. Can you give me some advice? Because I'm really interested in getting into your industry and what qualifications I need and what courses I should take. And I'm just thinking, for goodness sake, I didn't- Ask Kroll, you think? Well, well, I should say that, shouldn't I? (laughs) I should say, actually, just pass you on to Kroll. Can you please answer this for me? But Tell them to enroll in the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute's (laughs) Master of Science in Security Informatics program. Oh, oh, goodness gracious. Um, You know, but I I don't have a degree. I didn't go to a real university. You know, I just sort of fell into this and, uh, you know- Aren't we glad well, you did? Uh, well, <laughs> but, you know, I just feel incredibly unqualified to, to, to comment on these things. And I see all these people with qualifications, which I don't have. Yeah. Mm. So what's going on here? Is it that the HR people are just cutting and pasting job descriptions that they've seen online for other people? And they're just thinking, oh, we, we have to ask the same. Is it I, the I, management I, inside the company requesting these sort of things? I would really like to know what's going on inside these companies. Maybe that's an opportunity for a, a, a research study. Yeah, there, well, there um, needs to be a come to Jesus moment between IT and HR, right? HR right. have to go look. You guys are the experts in IT. Tell us what we need to say and how we get the right people. And IT need to go. You guys are the expert at getting jobs. How do we recruit the right people? Crow, yeah. Jesus may have had a beard and worn sandals, but he never went to university. Uh, <laughs> I just think you've chosen the wrong person there. <laughs> Finally, my point is that. <laughs> yep, I'm just going to gloss over that. Good. <laughs> Finally, my point. 
Know the market and the certifications. If you're going to require a certification, make sure it's an entry-level security certification, like the CompTIA Security Plus is a very good one. Uh, Cisco CCNA is good for network administration. Uh, Those are good basic security certifications that are relatively easy for people to acquire. And Mm. when people come in with those, you know they have at least the basic understanding to do their job. HR people need to understand this. I actually saw a job posting yesterday that was looking for a Microsoft A-plus certification. There, there is no such thing as a Microsoft A-plus certification. <laughs> there are entry-level Microsoft certifications, and then there's the CompTIA uh, A-plus certification. Do you, do you are- think they saw something like Microsoft C++ and they thought, oh, well, we want better than that, <laughs> and so we get Microsoft A-plus instead? <laughs> exactly, yeah. A whole mess of times before, and I can't believe I still have to say this, but for the love of God, stop putting CISSP in your entry-level job descriptions or even junior-level job descriptions. Nobody with a CISSP is going to look at that posting, okay? A CISSP requires five years of experience in the field. It is not an entry-level certification. Don't even put it as a preferred certification or a preferred qualification. Nobody's going to apply for your entry-level position if, that you prefer with the CISSP. Joe, I think, I think you're holding back a bit. I think you should let us know how you really <laughs> nah, This is something that just frosts me. Is the real problem, Joe, that you've been looking for a new job? You're on these <laughs> recruitment websites and you just don't have the qualifications. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> Could be. Is that what you're t- <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not looking for a new job. I actually like my job here very, very much. Crow, what have you got for us this week? Okay, I'm going to set a scene. So you guys are driving along. It's nighttime. The main road is quiet, right? The snacks are plentiful, Graham. Your favorite podcast is yammering in the background, and you open the window a little just to let out some of the stale, stinky air. Life is good, right? Life is good. But everything then gets interrupted by the shrill ring of your mobile. Right? You look down to your phone, and you see that it's me calling. And obviously, without goes without saying that you want to. I cannot tell you how much this speaks to me, girl. I hate when I'm listening to a podcast or listening to a song, and somebody calls me on my phone and totally (laughs) stops what I'm doing because I use my phone to play these things back. Right? Exactly. Uh. So, what do you do? So, Joe, you're in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, without the stale air and all that. Uh, Your phone's ringing. You want to? How do you handle it? Well, I have uh, a Bluetooth connected. Uh, set in my car that's mm-hmm. integrated with my car. So I just push the answer button and answer the phone. And that's on your dashboard. Your on my dashboard, dashboard, correct, yeah. And you always Bluetooth it up when you get to your car? Yeah. It just pairs automatically. It, do- it does because the sound system in my car is superior to the one on my phone. So I want to listen to the, uh-huh. the music or yeah. the sound at, uh, at, with good quality. Welcome exactly. to the 21st century, Carol. I think most <laughs> people are doing this. <laughs> is that what you do as well? Yes, too? yes, of course. Really? Of course. You wouldn't manually do it each time. What a pain. Okay, what if you got a rental? Ah. You have a okay, what if you have a rental and uh it's you know, it's someone you not me, it's someone you really want to hear from, right? (laughs) And they've just texted you saying, Hey, we still on for tonight? Right? And you what do you send them a thumbs up? Well, I don't know how to do emojis. So I I wouldn't send a thumbs (laughs) up. You could type those words out. It's not that hard. I know you didn't go to college or anything, but (laughs) it takes a little bit longer. (laughs) Well, maybe not. Right. Okay. But if you did that. Yes. Right. Do you know how much, you know what your fine could be if you got caught by a copper? Oh, tell me. So in the UK, you could lose six points and wow. get a 200 pound fine. How many points do you get in the UK? 
I think it's 12. I think 12 and you're out. That's what we get in Maryland here is 12. It's different state by state in the United States. Yeah, exactly. So I was doing some research on this story. So Uh, No one should send a text while they're driving or even even an emoji. That's so bad. How many, how many, you guess, how many admit to illegally making or receiving calls or sending a text while at the wheel in the UK? Well, I think there's different things here, right? There's the way that Joe is answering the phone by pressing a button on his steering wheel. Illegally making or receiving a call. So so how many people are sending texts uh, while driving? Yeah, yeah. While, you know, illegally making or receiving calls on a mobile while at the wheel. I would think it's like 20%, but it's it's bloody dangerous. I mean, it's so stupid. That admit to it? Yeah. I'm going to say it's higher than 20%. My bet is at least 50% admit to it in, in a survey. Okay, so uh, remember the survey will include people over 65, and they oh, okay. never do it. It seems that they never- Well, they don't know how to send texts. <laughs> they don't know how to answer their phone. Right, exactly. Right. So- What's that noise? Wait, you don't be alarm. <laughs> the number, the number, Graham wasn't was pretty close. It's one in four- Right, but the number is, has been much. pushed up by younger drivers. So drivers between ages twenty five mm-hmm. and thirty four, almost half, to Joe's point, admit to doing uh, illegal calls, so making or receiving calls whilst driving, and this is up seven mm-hmm. percent from the previous year. And overall, so everybody, right, including the people over sixty five that never use it, fifteen to twenty percent of us admit to texting, emailing, taking photos, and doing social media whilst driving. Taking photos while driving? What, are you Snapchatting your genitals while you're driving down the motorway? <laughs> Look at that what funny kind of, vanity license plate. Kind of, I need to get a picture Remember of that. that you said that, Graham, because it's going to come back to bite you. And I, wouldn't want, I wouldn't want that biting me. <laughs> so right, I looked at a few countries. It's a short show, right? But basically, mobiles and car driving is uh, not a very good cocktail and it's causing accident the world over. In the UK, legislation was first introduced making it illegal to use handheld mobiles in 2003. And mm. every five years, they've upped the fine. So it started off at £30 and now it's at £200 and six penalty points, like we said earlier. So, so in the UK, Graham, you're asking drivers and riders can use hands-free phones, sat-navs and two-way radios Two-way radios. We need to talk about that. Well, like CB. Exactly. <laughs> like, like on ice road truckers. Got ourselves a convoy, <laughs> big buddy. Uh, I know I know what that is, though. That's that's am- A lot of amateur radio operators have mobile uh, handset or sets in their cars. And they don't have to hold them in their those. hand like, yes, uh, but they, but they, like they used to do in the 70s. And well, I don't know. But they don't have friends, do they? So there's no they one for them to communicate with. They have lots of friends, they're, they're, they're all well, not, re- not really. really not right. really in the UK, okay, if really the cops okay. think that you're distracted <laughs> or not in control of your car, Graham, you could be illegally stopped or penalized. Now, when we get to the US, things get a lot more complicated because, as you said, Joe, it's all state run, right? Mm-hmm. And it varies quite yep. crazily. So. No, for all of you out there who, you know, jump over state lines quite regularly, don't assume the law is the same in your state and in the neighboring state. Um, I've got a link in the show notes if you want to take a look at the up-to-date table on Wikipedia. But uh, 88% of drivers use their smartphone while driving, apparently, in the U.S. And cell phone mm-hmm. use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes each year in the States. That is Absolutely and, enormous. And That's they right. say one it's out of horrific. every four car accidents in the U.S. is caused by texting and driving. So, big deal. Oh, just... Now we go down to Australia, down under. 
Could you say that again with an Australian accent, girl? <laughs> <laughs> it's way better than yours. You're just jealous. Now, in the, in Oz, drivers are allowed to use phones in a hand-free cradle and through Bluetooth, but it is illegal to touch a phone while driving except to pass it to a passenger. Right. And the ban even applies to drivers who are stationing at red lights really? or stuck in traffic jams. Now, I, I should state, actually, this is in New South Wales only because Australia, like the U.S., has state-run legislation rather than federal legislation like we do in the U.K. Okay. They, the New South Wales has been noticing a uptick in crashes and deaths and that they are, cor- you know, correlated to mobile phone use. And they've come up with a new way to try and catch illegal mo- okay. uh, mobile phone use mm-hmm. at the wheel. So government modeling found that the phone detection cameras could prevent a hundred fatal and serious injuries over five years. Mm. These Phone detection cameras are are known as 45 mobile phone detection cameras. Nice name, guys. <laughs> and uh, they're already in operation in New South Wales. So, th- so, th- so they are looking at cars and they're identifying people speaking into phones as opposed to identifying their license plate, for instance. I was going to ask if there's something Orwellian going on here for the solution. Now you're thinking, how do these things work, right? So each unit contains two cameras. And these units are put on the side of the road or in a movable truck, a bit like speed cameras. Right. One camera photographs is the car's registration plate, and a second high-set lens looks down through the windscreen and can see what drivers are doing with their hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm. hello. Right? <laughs> so, uh, the units – so, I don't know. I find that a bit upset. I don't know. I find that weird. I find that weird. You could be – I don't know. Making your nose. Or worse. Know. Right. Right. I don't know. It just feels a bit an invasion of. Well, I'm sorry, Carl. You may you may worry about your privacy, but I worry about the fact that there's some idiot driving down the road in the opposite direction to me who's Snapchatting rather than concentrating on what's happening on the road. Okay, okay. Uh, my turn to get on the soapbox. Do you think that is worth than say someone spilling hot coffee on their lap? Are they not distracted like a mobile phone user? What about the person going, you know, eating a drive-through burger and stuffing it into their pie hole as they go around tight? I end? think the the rule in the UK <laughs> is that they judge whether you are in proper control of the vehicle, and it can be just the same if you're applying lipstick or drinking a coffee or doing anything else. Exactly. That the police may say that that you weren't in proper control, just like with a phone. Yeah. So I, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to underline here is it's whilst the phone is being highlighted here as the big bad thing, what was really bad is you're in control of a car. Yes. And you need to be in charge of that car. And whether it's lipstick or coffee or whatever, or you're, you know, a Snapchat, uh, you need to ignore it till you get to your freaking destination. Yeah. Well, yeah, but people aren't, right? Right. People aren't. A lot so of now what aren't. they're having to do is they're taking photos and photos that show suspected illegal behavior mm-hmm. are referred for verification by human eyes before an infringement notice is sent. We're back in New South Wales here. It's sent to the vehicle's registered owner. Right. Along with a, oh, sorry, $344 Australian fine. So 232 American dollars. Mm-hmm. And some cameras will be permanently fixed to roadsides. Others are going to be tra- on trailers. And um, basically, they're taking pictures of everybody and then wiping those uh, that don't yeah. seem to have any illegal behavior going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Sure. But what's illegal, right? 
What if you're like turn? What if you're like trying to hold your kid down because he's taken off his seatbelt? You're not in proper control of the car, right? You know, I just looked up the Maryland distracted driving law, and there's okay. a list of things which count as as distracted driving, including texting, using a cell phone or a smartphone, eating or drinking, talking to passengers, grooming, <laughs> reading. Using maps, reading, reading, using a navigation system, (laughs) watching a video, adjusting a radio, CD player, or MP3 player. People are watching freaking movies in their car. I have seen where people have taken the airbags out of their car and replaced the airbag with a video screen (laughs) so they can watch TV when they drive. And you're worried about a freaking text? (laughs) I used to have a friend, Carl, but before I knew you, he's dead now, and this may be why he's dead. I don't know. But but, but he he used – I remember once I was in the car with him. He was driving, and I thought, oh, they're playing an episode of Dad's Army on the radio. And then I looked across and he had a little TV screen in front of him and he was watching Dad's Army, which is a BBC sitcom, on his TV screen while he was driving. Huh. So people do do this. <laughs> so, okay. So basically, to all you kids out there, it's the kids' fault, it seems, right? You kids are the ones who are on your phone way too much. I think as soon as you have a kid or you have a small person in your life that you actually care about, you suddenly think, oh, don't want <laughs> these kids on the road, right? These young teens on the road bombing down, looking at their phones. But, it, you, know, it, you know, if we don't stop, these, these, this tech kind of technology is coming here. And I'm a bit of a privacy buff and I don't like well, it. Well, you know, I, so, I'm a bit of a privacy wonk as well. And I, I think our privacy matters. But I, I do feel that society has rather blotted its copybook by the number of accidents and deaths which are occurring because people are messing around with their mobile phones. It's, I absolutely hate it. And when I'm in a car with someone who's doing it while driving, I, I quite like to say, Oi, what the bloody hell are you doing? You're always fiddling with your freaking heated seat when you're driving. I don't know why that's different. No, I do not try. I only, I only turn off my heated seat when you turn it <laughs> on. Whatever. Actually. I don't know how it turns itself on, but it turns itself on. Mm, you get all yeah, excited funny. and it's dangerous. Funny it's, it's dangerous, when, Graham. Mm, funny it happens when you're in the car. Or your son. I showed him how. <laughs> you're welcome so now you can pester him when you're not exactly. present like a ghost. whatever your industry detectify can help you stay on top of security and build safer web apps just enter the name of your website and detectify will run over 1500 security tests against it identifying real problems with a list of Constantly updated vulnerabilities submitted by a global network of over 150 hand-picked ethical hackers. The service can even help you discover web assets like unknown subdomains and determine if they're vulnerable to hostile subdomain takeover. So what are you waiting for? Go hack yourself. Take a 14-day free trial at www.smashingsecurity.com slash detectify. Detect with an IFY on the end. <laughs> And thanks to them for supporting the show. Don't you love a win-win situation? Imagine if you could have both enterprise-wide password management with single sign-on. What is single sign-on? Well, Graham, let me dazzle you. Single sign-on is designed to connect employees to high-priority apps, all without needing the user to log in at every single hurdle. Now, by combining these two services... Our friends at LastPass may have just revolutionized security at the enterprise level. Learn more at lastpass.com forward slash smashing. Don't need to say the forward slash. (sighs) 
And welcome back. And you join us on our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. It could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Now, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself in the unfortunate position of going camping with my family. Um, not, not, it was un- wasn't unfortunate that I was with my family, uh, but it was that I was camping. I'm not a big fan of camping. Graham's not a big fan of many things, and camping <laughs> is on that list. It's quite uh, high on the so list. So is hiking yes. or skating yes. or skiing. Yes, anal or sex, anything. these sort of things. So, but yeah. I mean, there's a few things which I have a bit of a problem with, but we did travel through a, a we were in Dorset in the English Beautiful country. Dorset. Beautiful, Beautiful Dorset. Beautiful county. And I went through the town of Shitterton, <laughs> um, which is the real name of a town in Dorset. And um, this amused my son a great deal. And um, <laughs> I was telling him about some of the other funny named places in the world, including there is a road in Oxford where we live, Crow, called Crotch Crescent, uh, oh. which is quite amusing over in we have, Eddington. Yeah, we have Toot Butts Lane near us. Do you? <laughs> yes. Well, maybe you will want to check out a website called The Really Rude Map. And I've put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. And this is a map of the places with really rude names. Um, and if you're quite juvenile, <laughs> you might you might find it quite entertaining. Um, I can think of a number of people who might enjoy that. Right. Thank. Yeah. Yes. So if you you can check it out right now, um, I have some pulled up from Maryland. Cockeysville in Maryland and Hancock in Maryland. Actually, Hancock is where Maryland gets the thinnest. It's the uh, – and then uh, out in – it looks like either Garrett or Allegheny County, there's a place called Shaft, Maryland. place called Lord Hereford's Knob. And there's nothing in Canada. Nothing rude in Canada. Um, well, Canada's very polite, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing some in so. Canada. You've got to zoom in a bit. Are you? Yes. I'm there's some over I'm on, in – uh, on a touchpad. Like Labrador and things, so – Oh, yeah, that's rude. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> there's a place called Cli- – oh, is that kind of – it's called Climax on the uh, border there. Near, Crotch Lake. Near Big Dick Lake. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's all quite amusing. Um, so next time you need a bit of a titter, uh, maybe you will go and check out the really rude map. And uh, don't forget to check out the scenic view from Upper Spunk Lake in Minnesota. <laughs> Um, anyway, that is my. Wow, Graham. I know it's wow. it's highbrow. It's highbrow this week's episode. Uh, yeah. I just hope I, you know. I, yeah, when are you next going to Wanky? There's quite a lot of rude sounding places in Asia, but I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable repeating them because you know, uh, over in Longdong Avenue, <laughs> for instance. There's so anyway. But anyway, I think moving on. Um, so, uh, Joe, what's your pick of the week? Mine is actually a little more. Uh, Classy than that, not I guess. Um, not difficult. <laughs> it's hard, hard not to be. Um, but my pick of the week is Heavens Above. And if oh. you go to their website, it's heavens-above.com. Yes. And uh, they also have an app. I think it's only available on Android. I don't think it's on Apple. Uh, but I actually sprung for the, uh, for the paid version of the app to remove the ads. But this mm-hmm. is an app that lets you spot satellites as they're flying overhead. Ah. 
Aww. So huh. there are satellites up there. The the very space around the planet is filled with all kinds of space junk. Uh, and then, of course, there's the International Space Including Station. Including Elon Musk's car. Right. <laughs> Elon Musk's car, which is great. Great idea. Yeah. Such so cool. I mean, why not throw more crap into space so it can land on Earth and kill somebody? <laughs> uh, but if, you, if you're ever out in the middle of the night in a dark area, and sometimes it doesn't have to be too dark um, – it just has to be nighttime. But if you look up and you see a light moving in a straight line, it's not blinking, and then that light disappears, chances are that's a satellite. And this is an app that will let you go out there and find them and see them. Cool. And it also tracks- now, You obviously don't live in England. I do not. Because no. um, we have this really crazy barrier called clouds. <laughs> ah, And right. uh, they're around a lot. They're around a lot. They only seem to come out here whenever there's some kind of uh, once-in-a-lifetime astronomical event. That's that's when the clouds <laughs> come out in Maryland. So you could see the International Space Station. That's probably one which is quite yep. interesting to take a look at. A North Korean satellite? Yes. Whoa. Ooh, should we be worried? Uh, Tiangong is on there. That's a Chinese space station. I don't know if it's still habited, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Cosmos rocket boosters that fly by. You see those? Hmm. Wow. This is kind of cool. I might, I might check into this. The International Space Station is very easy to see when, when it flies over. Uh, it's very bright because it's so big, and it catches the sun and shines a lot of, a lot of light down on the planet. So you can see it very easily. How cool. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if mine's going to be. I like this. it. Carol, what's your pick of the week? Remember how last week we had a bit of a different show? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have a pick of the week. Yeah, on so the you've show. been saving up a really good one, just like I did, right, for this and week. Well, a listener complained, oh. and they did so via mm-hmm. Twitter. And it said, at Smashing Security, had no pick of the week this episode. I've got one sad boy with me here. <laughs> right. I know, totally. So I felt bad, and I responded. Well, because their son likes the pick of the week segment. Yeah, I'm sure that they're not letting them listen to anything rude, because that would be no. inappropriate. Right. Um, <laughs> But I said, look, I, so I was, I was talking to Gabriel of Australia through his dad. And I said, why don't you help me out with this week's pick of the week? Now, some of you might have seen this thread on Reddit and in the media. And it's basically all dedicated to the art of eating an orange in the shower. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this. Right. Well, I love an orange, right? But I do hate the whole sticky mess, hands, all that stuff, at least behind. And I was thinking this could be the answer. So I got quite, you know, hmm, this could be interesting. But I already have a kind of semi-weird routine, shower routine. Oh, please tell us. (laughs) Doesn't involve (laughs) calling you or anything like that. But I like to brush my teeth in the shower. Okay. Is that gross? Is that gross? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, No. Good use of time, I think. Right. You know, multitasking and all that. And we all know that brushing your teeth and eating an orange you know, close oh, together is not a nice thing. are awful. Exactly. Yes. So this challenge demanded that I kind of, you know, demanded quite a bit of me. I had to kind of change stuff. And, and to my mind, the whole thing has to be a bit primal, right? You can't just cut up your little orange and have little segments. you got to kind of tear it open or bite into yeah. it. Uh, you're you know, standing naked in the shower. It's time to yeah. act like you're standing naked somewhere eating an orange, right? Yeah, so I did it. Oh, you're I naked? Challenge. Okay. Huh? Oh. Yeah, you tried it. I did. And there's I put pictures in the uh, in the show notes. You guys can see them there. That's my little toes. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I asked Gabriel. Gabriel had a go as well, my my buddy over in Australia. He had a go. And he reported back that he liked it, but he pointed out that a cold orange in a hot shower would be better. And I realized Ooh, mine was yeah. also room temperature. And I thought that was brilliant. So I tried it again the next day. 
with a cold with a refrigerated orange, orange after oh. I worked out. And can I just say, amazing. So, um, Graham, I tried to challenge you to this uh, challenge. Well, you did. You did, Crow. You, you contacted me yesterday about uh, eating an orange in a grumpy. primal caveman. I was quite grumpy. Uh, in, a, uh, <laughs> in the shower. And uh, I didn't have any oranges in the house. But I did actually take with me into the shower this morning a banana. <laughs> it's not the same. Well, it's what I had to hand. And so I took a banana in. <laughs> Why don't you take a and, sandwich? Well, ah, like interesting <laughs> you should say that. Because I took, well, that would got, got quite soggy, of course. Anyway, so I started the shower. I got under the shower. I took the banana. I hadn't peeled it. And I remembered that you'd said I had to eat it like a caveman. So I simply bit into. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty primal. So I bit into it sideways. So imagine that the banana is like a big smile on my face and I go. It's right, hard to that, imagine. That, yeah, a big a smile would <laughs> yeah, be difficult. It's hard to imagine you yeah. happy. And so I, and what I found is that when you bite into a banana like that, the insides of the banana tend to squeege out of the sides. <laughs> oh no. Right? Which isn't so good. But. Banana skin was actually Brilliant. quite pleasant. It was a bit like eating a banana sandwich. Not that I would ever eat a banana sandwich because that's the wrong kind of thing to put in a sandwich. But uh, I think you guys out there, you should try it. Challenge your kids to it. See what they think. It's a good way to get some fruit in. It's quite fun. Feels a bit naughty. And really, is it? <laughs> is it? Is it naughty? Not really. Come on. I wouldn't say it's naughty. No. Right. But your your advice is definitely refrigerate the orange first. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like a little workout, right, every day. So right. I like to do a little workout. Then you're, you know, cold orange is really nice afterwards. And now I've just moved my shower forward. So I'm combining the, the orange in the shower. Huh. And yeah. I think also, I think well, I also this is something to put on your CV. On your resume, and maybe it could think? help you get a job in uh, IT or something. It could in too. IT, it's yeah, yeah, psychologically fascinating. Yeah. yeah. If someone had that on their Your resume hiring. and came in for job, I would say, yeah, we definitely got to interview this guy. We're going to ask him about the orange. So uh, this was all for Gabriel. Gabriel, I'm sorry uh, we didn't do pick of the week, uh, but you know, shout out, thanks for helping us out, and uh, yeah, cool, good. Listen to the show never again because it's too old for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just about wraps it up for this week. Um, Joe, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to find out more about you? Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at JT Kerrigan, and that's spelled C-A-R-R-I-G-A-N, the proper way of spelling Kerrigan. <laughs> and um, yes, Nancy and Ryan are both wrong. There is no K in the Gaelic alphabet. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find me on Hacking Humans with Dave Bittner every week. Uh and me occasionally. <laughs> and Carol occasionally, yes. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And maybe if you really like the show, you might want to support us on Patreon as well. We've got a couple of tiers up there. If you want to give us uh, some monthly support, you can get uh, you can get bonus goodies and uh, access to episodes earlier than they are released to the general public. Ooh. Ooh, and once again, thank you to this week's Smashing Security sponsors, Detectify and LastPass. Their amazing support helps us give you the show for free. And thanks to you listeners, reviewers, Patreon supporters, young and old and in between. Check out SmashingSecurity.com for past episodes, sponsorship details, and info on how to get in touch with us. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs> right. No, I would. I really would, guys. I would. Totally. <laughs> you want to be me? No, no, not maybe, you. Maybe not me. No. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough.
of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to find out more about you? Oh boy, what's my Twitter handle? I forget. Um, oh, you see, he's a guy <laughs> like he's. I love that. Well, pl- plug the podcast if you prefer. I will do that. I'll um, I'll do both. I'll say. Uh, uh, they don't show you what your Twitter handle is anymore. Oh my god! You'll find it. You'll hang find on. It. I'll find you. I'll f- oh, at JT okay. Kerrigan. Okay. <laughs> okay, you can follow me on Twitter at JT Kerrigan, and that's spelled.